going to read this whole chapter of Revelation 13 again for us because as I said to us last week, it is key to understanding what actually takes place in most of the rest of the book of Revelation. So Revelation 13 verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, this is John, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. May we begin today by again acknowledging a difficulty that we often have as we read and try to understand prophecies such as these in that the words of prophecy are almost always truly mysterious. We would prefer that God's revelation would be more clear and plain to our ordinary minds. But as we learned 
from the teachings there in 1 Corinthians 2, it really is by God's design that the meaning of His words and the understanding of them, of these prophecies, be only for those who have first given their hearts to Christ. Then and only then can such spiritual things be discerned. Let me, let me stop for a moment. On my Fox webpage in this past week, a picture of Stephen Hawking came up. I didn't read the article. I just saw the picture of him. I recognize his face. If you don't recognize his face, that's okay. It's just that he is declared to be probably the smartest, if not the smartest, man on the face of the earth right now. He's right at the top. Well claimed to be. But he has ALS and he cannot speak. He lives as a vegetable. He's able to actually communicate through his eyes and the movement of his eyes to his computer. So he can communicate that way. He has declared in recent years, last year or two especially, that there is going to be a big cataclysmic event that takes place in the universe. Now here the smartest man on the face of the earth. By the way, he is not a believer. He has, through his mathematical genius, determined that this cataclysmic event is going to take place. But here he is, arguably the most brilliant man on the planet, and he doesn't know that it's this that's going to take place. There's a sense in which he is a brilliant fool. Let me get back to reading here and or thinking through this. These things, why doesn't he understand? It's because these things, these things that we're reading about here, they are spiritually discerned. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 tells us. They can only be understood when the Holy Spirit is dwelling within the person as they read and as they hear. It's only then that we're able to understand this in its real truth. But let me give you an encouragement. If you have problems with prophecy and not being able to understand it, each time that you go back to it, you'll find that you understand it a little bit more each time. So I encourage you to keep going back and keep going back to it and God will reveal these mysteries to you. Now, as we ended the message last week, we saw that the church had been raptured off the earth. Every Christian believer was gone, leaving only unbelievers to remain and to carry on all the matters of daily life on the earth. And we noted that those who would be left behind would probably not be the most trustworthy or the most reliable people having been then described in 2 Timothy 3 as being lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, reckless. Those folks don't make for very good guardians over what's left of this earth after the rapture. But that's who we're going to have left, according to the Lord. So after then, the rapture takes place The world as we would know it today, the family structures, the neighborhoods, the workplaces, the the general society all around us, it will be dramatically changed. Dramatically changed. And it will be in a state of great confusion. Because let me say again, those believers who have been raptured off the earth, 
they were the minds of reason, better able to understand what's going on and to carry on this earth day to day, they'll all be gone. And you're going to have far less capable people to run the earth after we're gone. And so here they are in this state of confusion and chaos. And most of the people of the Western world where we live, especially here in America, have never really been able to learn to provide for themselves. So as the food and the water supplies begin to dwindle and as violence begins to increase, people will probably then do exactly what they would do right now. They will begin to cry out to the government for help. And this time, the government will very quickly oblige. But this time, it will not be with EBT cards or Medicaid or Medicare. It will be with this demonic mark of the beast. And may I warn us again that even now, before the rapture has taken place, and long before the food shortages and the chaos takes over, I have no doubt that demonically controlled world leaders have already been working their way into key leadership positions in all of the major governments across our world. And they've been developing these very systems to facilitate the programs that the mark of the beast will require. And may I say and listen, yes, even right here in the United States. And so they'll be ready for that special moment of the rapture. And I don't believe the rapture is going to be a secret to them. They'll know what's taken place. They'll be ready for that when all the Christians are taken off the earth. And it's then that they will begin to show themselves, these demonically controlled leaders. They'll show themselves and they'll begin to take control over our nation and all the nations of the world. Now, may I ask you, do the words that I just got through saying to you sound like those of a paranoid conspiracy theorist? I would suggest that a lot would think so. Or that I was perhaps at best a religious fanatic. But folks, listen, it is right in here. And I'm not using too much imagination to extrapolate what's said here into what is understood is going to take place in those last days. I'm simply reading the prophecy. And no, it probably might not happen today, but it's going to happen real soon. Real soon. Why do I say that? Our nation is in the worst disarray that I've ever seen, certainly in my lifetime. Confusion, despising authority, all of those things. But again, as the rapture takes place, these demonic leaders are going to rise up in power. Turn back there to Revelation 13, and I want us to follow through on some of these verses. Here, notice, there's a very clear description given of these demonic leaders. Verse 1, Then I, John, stood on the sands of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head 
a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now can you imagine? World leaders who have seven heads. Seven heads, ten horns, looking like a leopard or a lion. What you and I are accustomed to looking at is a Putin, Kim Jong-un, faces like that. They look just like us. The Apostle John is saying something else that's very mysterious. He's actually describing grotesque demonic creatures. I've wondered what the people of the earth will actually see as they look at these leaders mentioned here. Will their real demonic features be seen? Or will their grotesque faces and bodies be hidden behind some good-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, smooth-talking man? You and I only are able to visualize a being that has a head and arms and legs. We actually visualize angels as having these beautiful two wings, but those are not at all what's described in the Scriptures. But will God allow us to see what they really look like? Those who are left behind, will they be able to see what those grotesque demons look like? Or will they, again, as I said, see this good-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, smooth-talking man? Now, it's not known. Scripture doesn't tell us. But most of the Bible scholars agree that the demons that do rise up and take over this world power. They'll probably do exactly what has been done here in the Scriptures, and that is those demons will simply take over the body of people. They'll indwell ordinary people, and because of that, they're going to look just like anyone else. And I accept that. But may I offer one more thought, a question. As you and I look at some of these national leaders, say of Russia, right now, of Russia, Iran, Syria, North Korea, Pakistan. Are we actually looking into the face of some of those demons that were described here? We just simply see Putin's face. Kim Jong-un. Now they're not real pretty to look at, but they certainly are not grotesque like this. Are we actually looking at them now? I don't know. Now, some of the Bible scholars that interpret these prophecies, they've concluded that the way that these demons are presented here, in, especially in verses 1, 2, and 3, that it's intended to describe their plans and purposes rather than necessarily describing one demon or the way a demon looks. I personally understand it to be both, that these demons do look that way. But they also represent, perhaps say, a consortium of government leaders. Those seven heads and the ten horns referring to groups of seven and ten nations whose leaders have aligned together to control the world because it talks about that in here. And those leaders are those who will probably be all in and around the Middle East. They'll be demonically controlled. But listen, with Satan 
being ever and always the highest in command over all of them. Back in chapter 12, God gave us this detailed description of this dragon, Satan, and all that he's been doing over all these many years. And there we learned that throughout these millennia that he began by coaxing a third of the angels to rebel with him. And so he's been amassing his forces. And then from then on, chapter 12 tells us how he and the fellow demons have been waging this fierce war against Israel and against Christ and against the church. And you can see how this awful war has been waged against Israel, the Jews, all throughout history. Destroyed for 1,500 years. And then they get almost annihilated during World War II. A war, a very intense war. But in these very last days that we're reading about here, that war against Israel and against the, those who would give their hearts to Christ, that war is going to intensify. And God's going to intentionally remove these restraints from around Satan and his forces. Why would he do that? The end is coming. The end is coming. and that's So the Lord removes or at least moves back a lot of those control restraints from around Satan and how he's able to wage war in these very last days. And with all the suffering of the people increasing daily and because of the shortages of food and water and other necessities of life that's going to just undoubtedly take place, there will be more and more people as described here in verse 8, sign on to the mark of the beast. And they are described here as being those whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. They'll sign on to the mark of the beast and they'll join with the beast to persecute anyone who would dare turn their hearts to Christ. And so this war against the church will intensify. Here also in these words, we can clearly see Satan's plan unfolding for this world leadership. You can see how he has formed within his demonic culture there this demonic trinity. He envisions himself as God the Father. He positions himself there. And then he positions another member, a beast, as the Antichrist, which would be Christ. And then he also positions this other beast in the same kind of configuration as the Holy Spirit. And so he has his own cleverly devised unholy trinity. And we also see how he creates drama. He wants to fascinate and awe the people. Because it says that people will marvel at his miraculous signs that he's able to perform. And especially when one of those world leaders suddenly receives this deadly head wound. Should have died, but he miraculously comes back to life. Perhaps some assassination attempt. We don't know. It doesn't say. But he will survive, and he will be this antichrist. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now it's believed that this Antichrist, this one year that's 
wounded and is healed. Going to be very charismatic. And during the first three and a half years, he'll win great favor amongst the people of the world. And it's believed that he will especially win favor amongst the leaders of Israel. Some Bible scholars that I've read, they believe that the Antichrist will actually facilitate the rebuilding of God's holy temple there in Jerusalem. Right over the very spot that the Dome of the Rock Mosque now stands. That Muslim icon. Now I can't imagine how that's going to take place in the face of what will surely be some of the strongest opposition from the Muslims. But these scriptures sure do point in that direction and Bible scholars really believe that that will take place. May I give you one other thought that I saw on my news webpage this morning. Donald Trump has recommitted to putting the embassy in Jerusalem of reestablishing Jerusalem as being the center of Israel. I don't know if you know or not, but that's Jerusalem is not the center of Israel right now. It's Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is the city with the embassies. It's, Tel Aviv is recognized as being the capital of Israel. But Donald Trump is going to work towards reestablishing Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Because that's where the Dome of the Rock stands. So you're going to have then in these last days this charismatic leader. And for three and a half years, he's going to allow all sorts of nice things to be taking place and people are going to love him. But then, after that three and a half years, he'll change. And you can see that change take place just between verses 5 and 6. Look at this. And he, the Antichrist, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. But then he's going to change. Verse 6. Then he opens his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in the heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. Now those are the ones who have come to know him during the tribulation. And to overcome those saints. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Notice that word. They will worship him whose name has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundations of the the world. If anyone has ear to hear, let him hear. Now again, let me say this. These words have been interpreted to mean that for three and a half years, this Antichrist will present himself as being generous and helpful to the people of the world, and especially to the people of Israel, permitting them to actually rebuild the temple and to worship God. But then, just as suddenly as he tells them he's going to help them, he changes. He stops his contrived generosity and kindness. It was all a part of his plan. And then he will suddenly become very arrogant and violent and demanding. And as it says, he will make war against the saints, turning against literally everyone who hasn't taken the mark of the beast. And he'll begin to persecute the Jews in the church. 
Now this is believed to be the point in time when strict enforcement of this requirement for everyone to have taken the mark of the beast to, to be enforced. Anyone who refuses to take that mark will then be refused all the provisions of life, whether it be food, clothing, protection by police and fire departments and whatever other provisions they need. And then not only that, as time passes, those who continue to refuse to take the mark, and especially those who've given their hearts to Christ, they will be hunted down and thrown into prison and killed. Verse 7, It was granted to the beast to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Also there in verse 4, It will be in those days that Satan and his beasts the Antichrist will begin to show their true colors. I mentioned a while ago, worship. It was always Satan's plan that he would be like God. He wanted to be worshipped. And this is the point that they'll start to worship. And he will insist that they worship him. And it says specifically though, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Now we're getting close to closing time. I want to acknowledge what sounds like to be a very bleak circumstance. But we need to know that God is always absolutely and completely in sovereign control over everything that takes place. No matter what it looks like, no matter how bleak, how how chaotic it looks, God is in charge of everything and He is orchestrating it. Hidden within these words that we've been reading are words that you and I need to remember. Several of these verses speak of God's hidden hand. Verse 5, it talks about the Antichrist, that he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Verse 7, it talks about he was that it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe. Verses 14 and 15 talk about how he was granted to do certain things and he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Now, you and I have to take one step backwards all the time and say, who is giving this power and this guidance that's spoken about here? Yes, Satan gives some of it to the beast, the dragon, and then some of that power and authority is given from one of the beasts to another one. But listen, the real power that's given and granted is ever and always from God. He is the guiding and directing force behind every part of that which is being played out in this final drama between men and angels. And with God in absolute sovereign control, while yes, there will be a lot of suffering on the part of a lot of people, His children, as He tells us here, needs only to remain faithful. And He will work everything together for their good. So, as we see these final days starting to come to a close here in the book of Revelation, 
you and I have to understand God's hand is absolutely guiding everything that's taking place here. He has scripted it all. Nothing will take place except by His direct hand. Listen to this as we close. This comes from Matthew chapter 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Now, picture this is what's taking place when all of these people who have taken the mark of the beast, they have not only just taken a mark, they have actually given their lives over to demonic control. So these are demon-possessed possessed people who are all throughout the earth and they are waging war against these new believers who have come to know Christ during the tribulation. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But listen, here's the promise. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.